Today is a brand new day. And you have a choice to start transforming your life. Because when you commit to find the keys to unlock your true potential, you will unleash your superhuman powers. If you want to discover how to crush self-doubt, master productivity, bend time, accelerate your learning and more, you need to join us today. Because this is the Superhuman Playbook Podcast. Friends, welcome to the world of miracles. Hey, superhumans, welcome back to the Superhuman Playbook Podcast. Thanks for joining us as always. And by us today, I mean just me. I won't be interviewing another superhuman today. Um, As promised in the Origins episode, episode zero, and uh, in several of the episodes following, one of the special features of this podcast is that uh, as each guest offers a challenge, uh, that is a challenge that I'm going to take. So I wanted to share a little bit about my progress, what I've been doing, uh, the challenges that I've tried out so far, and the results. And I wanted to take this opportunity to share my thoughts on another subject, this idea of personal language. I think it's something that you guys will find really interesting. It's been impactful for me. And it's not something I hear people talk about really at all. Uh, And perhaps there are people talking about it out there just by a different name. Um, But it's a concept that came to me back when I was writing my first book, Out of Your Wheelhouse. And it does make a, an appearance in that book, but um, I've had a lot of time since then to think more about it and, and the impact it has on us in our personal and professional lives, especially as uh, students or professionals and in the workplace or in the classroom. So that's a topic I think you will find very interesting and hopefully it's impactful for you too. But first, I did want to get to the results of the challenges, what I've done so far. So at the time of this recording, I believe the episodes that will be published, it will be through episode six uh, with Andrea Zabo. Uh, so I haven't gotten that far yet in terms of the challenges, what I've been working on so far. I've gone through the challenges from episodes one through four. So I'll go ahead and just start and we'll go in order uh, with episode one. So that was with Peter Anglin. His challenge was to do five random acts of kindness for different people over the course of five days. Uh, This is one I was a little nervous about just because, um, especially since COVID and the lockdowns and everything like that, uh, my personal interactions with strangers have definitely been pretty limited, at least in person. Uh, Most of my interactions with with new people are, are online. And so I had to think about how to make that work well. And I've definitely been trying it out. So it might have been adapted a little bit, I'd say. Uh, I have been thinking more in terms of uh, how do I how do I be more considerate about the people in my circle, my friends, my family that I do see uh, during this time when we don't see very many people at all, but also uh, strangers online, people that I meet, uh, whether it's in the superhuman universe or otherwise. So I think the main takeaway for me from this challenge so far and and the really positive result that I've seen is just the shift in mindset. Uh, I've been looking for opportunities to show kindness to other people. And and that sounds really simple. And it sounds like, you know, something we should 
just be doing in general. But if it's not something that you, you have in front of you, I, I literally had it written down uh, on my list every day of things to do. It's easy to just not think about, at least not consciously think about too much. And so I think for me, the, the, the really big win from that was just a shift in mindset to looking for opportunities to show kindness to people. And some of the ways that personally that's manifested in my life, um, definitely with my spouse, Jess, I've been thinking a lot more about what are some ways I can make her day better? And what are some things without being asked to do that I can, I can do just to encourage her and bring a little bit more joy into her day. Um, whether it's, you know, picking up coffee on my way home from the gym or something like that. Um, other things for me, uh, it's definitely been interesting interacting with people online, which I, I do a lot of, and I've been trying to be, uh, more proactive about that. Just reaching out to people, especially in the super learner community who are struggling and offering help, um, free of charge. I do, obviously I do paid coaching and, and what I do with my clients is certainly different from, from help I'm, I'm offering to people online, which is not so in depth, but, um, I have been trying to just offer help without expecting anything in return. And, uh, if you're listening to this, maybe you're in that community and you've seen me be active and I, I hope I have been helpful in that way. And that, that has been a way that I've been trying to show, trying to show kindness to people, um, without expecting anything and, and just help people out in ways that I know how to and offering my expertise to, to make people's lives a little, at least a little bit better. So those are the things I've been doing. Um, I wish there was more and I know there probably is more and maybe maybe that's something I need to work on is, is having a, a greater opportunity mindset when it comes to that. Uh, but it certainly is difficult to, you know, interact with, with strangers at this time, uh, not online, you know, in person. It's kind of discouraged at the moment. So uh, it's definitely not a cop out. I, I want to still be very much in that mindset and seeking opportunities and that's, that's how this challenge has been really good for me anyway. So, um, I'm definitely going to keep it on my list. You know, it's, it's something that it's all too easy to not think of and not be proactive about. And so I appreciated that challenge from Peter and that's been a, a positive force in my life. So, uh, a little Easter egg from the episode since I've got you and I can <laughs> just kind of share random thoughts during this time. Um, if you listen back to the episode with Peter and you'll hear us at the very beginning of the episode saying uh, like back again or something like that, which might have been kind of weird considering it was episode one and we hadn't talked about anything at that point. Um, but a little fun fact from that episode, when we first recorded that interview, we actually didn't record it. We did the entire conversation uh, only to realize at the end that we had never hit the record button. So <laughs> that was why at the beginning of the episode, you hear us saying, well, back again, uh, we, we re literally recorded that conversation back to back twice in a row. Um, I do think it went better the second time. So uh, that was good. You guys got the, the better version, uh, though they were both great. Um, so yeah, a little, little Easter egg behind the scenes for that episode. Anyway, on to episode two, that was Embodied Learning with Erica, uh, a really cool concept. Uh, and if you haven't listened to any of these episodes, I definitely recommend going back and checking them out. Super impactful. So embodied learning is essentially this concept that you're uh, 
your brain, your mind is, is not just in your head. You know, you process information with your whole body. And so any way that you can incorporate movement um, or any sort of other physicality into your, your learning process, it's, it's going to be more effective. You're going to retain more. Uh, and that's consistent with um, a lot of the other things we talk about just in terms of when it comes to learning faster and learning better, um, the more mental hooks you can have, the more uh, different channels you can have for those inputs of information, the better you're going to remember things, the, the faster you're going to learn. So this is just another way to do that that I think people don't often think of. It's certainly something I hadn't thought of a lot before uh, Erica included her chapter in the Superhuman Playbook, which I had the amazing opportunity to edit and be a big part of. Um, so in, in terms of the challenge for that one, uh, I kind of took both sides of uh, that conversation. We talked both about embodied learning and also about uh, this concept of rituals and even dance, which is something, uh, if you know me, uh, dance has definitely not been a big part of my life at all, but um, I did want to want to truly try these things, so so I have been, and it's been really interesting. This is one that's uh, totally out of my normal uh, comfort zone. Uh, I struggle even when recording these podcasts uh, to have a lot of inflection in my voice or be highly expressive. Uh, something I'm working on. Hopefully, I'm not too boring, but. Uh, this whole concept is, is kind of flying in the face of that. Like, it's all about being expressive. It's all about um, being highly engaged and um, not being reserved, not holding back. So I talked about it in the podcast a little bit because I actually did try this prior to recording that conversation. But one thing I've been trying to do is during my reading, um, whether I'm speed reading or reading normally, I have been trying to use facial expressions. Uh, sometimes I, I'll even use you know, hand motions. I probably probably look like a crazy person when I'm doing it, but um, it really has helped a lot. Uh, and my comprehension and my retention is already you know, pretty good from a lot of the other things that I do and that we teach others to do. But I have found this has definitely added a layer to the experience. And I can tell um, that there are more of those mental hooks for memory and comprehension, retention of the information that I'm reading. And so trying to express the information that I'm taking in in a physical way has definitely helped. And I, if you are going to try this, and you definitely should, um, one of the points in that podcast episode that should not be overlooked is the fact that there aren't really any mistakes in this. And so, you know, with dance, when if you make a mistake, you don't start over. You, you just keep moving. And I think that's empowering. I think that's important. When I'm, when I'm reading, there's not a wrong way to express that information physically when you're doing it just for yourself and your own learning. Whatever comes naturally to you. And this is true um, if you are in the super learner community and you're familiar with some of the visualization techniques that we talk about in order for information to stick better. Um, one of the things that, that I especially talk about a lot is that when you are trying to come up with a visual, an image or a marker for 
some kind of information, often the first thing that comes to mind is best because if it came to mind and it came to mind naturally and quickly without having to think about it, that means there's already some sort of connection in your brain between the piece of information that you're trying to learn and the visual that you came up with. That connection's already there. That's why you thought of it. And so you should take advantage of that connection. And the same is true, I think, with this embodied learning idea of expressing information physically. I think whatever comes naturally to you, whatever kind of movements or facial expressions uh, come naturally to you as you're taking in information and trying to understand it better, that means that there's some sort of connection in your brain for whatever reason between the information that you're taking in and that, that movement. Uh, there's something natural there. There's something that already exists. And so there's no reason to suppress that. And I think you will have better results and, and you will have better comprehension and retention if, if you just go with what your brain wants to do. Uh, don't try to resist that. And I think your results will be better. So yeah, I really enjoyed that. I, I would definitely recommend give that episode a listen, give that those techniques a try. Just try to incorporate some physicality to your learning. And as for the rituals, um, I have been actually incorporating some amount of dance into my rituals a little bit. So one of the things I do in order to just wake myself up in the morning, um, I usually go to the gym and work out before, at least right now, that's what I've been doing before I get into the work for the day. But uh, just when I enter my office, uh, a lot of times now I would like, I, I will put on a song depending on what I will be doing for the day. I'll put on a song and I have a, a couple of songs that I go to just to make it more of a ritual, more consistent. And yeah, I'll just dance in my office. And um, thankfully there's, you know, you can't really see in here. <laughs> uh, so um, until the recording of this podcast episode, I don't think anybody knew that. Hopefully I, I do have some outside facing windows that, that maybe a neighbor saw me at some point thought I was, thought I was being weird, but uh, that's okay. And that's been really fun. I think it's been good to just get my day started on the right foot. It's at least for me so far, it's hard to have a bad attitude about things when you start off by dancing. So that's been, that's been interesting for me. And again, I want to stress, like, I'm definitely not a dancer. That is not my thing. Um, at least it has not been in the past. It's not something I'm particularly good at or, or have um, any sort of background or skill set with. So you don't need to be a good dancer to incorporate dancing into your life. And um, yeah, it's been fun for me. So give it a shot. It might just, if nothing else, brighten up your day. And if it helps you to learn, well, that's great too. So that would bring me to, let's see, episode three. Um, so that was Break Free of Damning Liquid with Daniel Lathan. He's one of our uh, neuroscientist friends and coaches. And his challenge was to try the 30 days no alcohol. Um, I kind of expanded that out a little bit to you know 30 days and eliminate something that you, you're not sure is a positive force in your life. Uh, and... I mentioned this when I re when we recorded that conversation, but I had actually just finished up uh, that challenge at the recording of that podcast episode. And I guess I, I cheated a little bit because um, <laughs> I kind of dual purposed. My wife and I had gone on Whole30 for a month just prior to that. And so we had eliminated alcohol, processed sugar, um, 
grains, you know, pretty much everything that's fun to eat except for <laughs> except for um, some meat and vegetables and a few other things. But uh, yeah, so that, that was kind of a m more intense version of the challenge that he gave uh, in which we eliminated a lot of things. Um, and honestly, alcohol has never been a significant part of, of my life. So uh, I can't report too much on that front on how it changed things but I, I think the the bigger takeaways from that whole experience um first of all it's it doesn't take that long to uh change your appetite and i don't just mean that for food i i think for anything and there might be limits to that i'm not i'm not really sure but i know that for me i, I really stopped craving sugar i stopped craving uh i've never been much of a caffeine drinker either but you know i've uh, i stopped craving a lot of things that i usually crave i'm more of a dessert guy myself so that was a big thing um the one thing i did find myself craving though a lot was peanut butter i thought that was pretty interesting um i love peanut butter i eat it a lot so that was uh that was one that i did crave i think the entire time but other than that a lot of the things that i thought would be really tough to cut out really weren't like bread. Um, I did have some cravings there, but it was surprisingly easy uh, to stop eating bread. Like after a week, it wasn't a big deal. So that was really interesting. Uh, I think the biggest, biggest takeaway for me though, um, other than just how quickly you can really change your appetite for things is again, um, just the the mindset shift that occurred with that it's really easy to think and i just said this about dancing but i'm this kind of person or i'm not this kind of person or this is how i act this is what i do uh, and to get really fixed in that way and say well i would never do that i would never try that uh, and this kind of speaks a little bit to the idea that Antoine introduced to us uh, a couple episodes ago about leveraging judgment. You know, why be so final? Why make final decisions about things when you don't need to? Uh, so that was that was an interesting takeaway from from whole thirty and just that elimination. There might be things in your life that you can eliminate that maybe they're you don't feel that they're a, a really negative influence but when you get rid of them you realize that life can be different and maybe it can be better without those things and it's you know it's worth at least a shot you know there's <laughs> daniel mentioned this and i thought this was really really good if you decide that that change isn't a good change it's not that hard to reverse um so if you decide after eliminating something from your life temporarily that you're actually better off with it, it's not, you know, for most things anyway, it's not that hard to get back. So it's, it doesn't have to be this, this final decision. So yeah, for me with the elimination diet that we did, uh, it, it was empowering for me just to see, you know, it's, it doesn't take that long to change, not just the food cravings, but any sort of appetite I have for activities or different things. 
you can change pretty quickly. And, and this has been a re reoccurring theme in the things that I've learned over the past couple of years, especially when it comes to how the brain works is that it's incredibly flexible and it really can change in drastic ways and it can change pretty fast. And I, I would find it difficult to believe that there's really anything that's fixed about the way that we think or the way that our brains work. It seems like really everything can be changed. Yeah, the idea of neuroplasticity, whether you're a child or you're an adult or you're an addict or or anything, it, it, the brain is capable of, of changing in incredible ways. And often it doesn't take nearly as long as we might think. So that was a big takeaway for me from that challenge. I, I really enjoyed it and I'd recommend trying it out on whether it's alcohol or anything else, just evaluate what you have in your life and some things that may or may not be that great and try getting rid of them for a while and just see how you feel and if if the change isn't positive you can always go back let's see so that would take us to episode four uh, with Lorena achieving the impossible through visualization love that um, I definitely did not go as extreme as Lorena on this one uh and as much as I just said, you're capable of change. I don't think um, running 100 kilometers through the Himalayas is something that I would particularly want to do. <laughs> um, who knows? Maybe someday, but probably not. Um, so, yeah, I haven't. That's not the level of impossible I've been seeking to achieve. But uh, adding visualization into my life more has certainly been a positive positive change for me, something I want to keep doing and, and do more of. The ways that I've specifically done that, I chose, um, I've done things kind of like a vision board in the past. And for some reason that wasn't as compelling to me. I know for a lot of people, it's really, really good. Uh, so definitely try it out. See if it works for you. Um, I love to write and I love to read. And so for me, what I chose to do rather than a vision board was just to write a letter. It's very short, um, just a letter from my future self sharing what I will become, who I will be, what I will do. And so I just spend a few minutes in the morning rereading that letter to myself and it really is short. I mean, I think it's it's less than a paragraph. It's like five or six sentences. But um, I think that's all I need, really. It, it's inspiring. And I'll probably add more to it at some point. But at least for now, that's been enough to get me thinking, uh, to widen out my, my vision a little bit, to be thinking more um, about the future and, and what's possible. And I just spend that time actually visualizing what that experience and what that life and, and who that person is and, and all of that. So that's been my visualization experience, just visualizing, okay, this, this letter from my future self, all these things come to pass. What does it look like? What does it feel like? And trying to be really specific, like Lorena mentioned. So that's been my experience with the challenges from episodes one through four, uh, definitely all been very positive and I'm looking forward to continuing with those and also adding, um, I will probably be jumping on the bracelet challenge. I've done something like that in the past, but I want to, want to make sure to, to give that one 
um, it's due. So I'm going to be doing that one sometime soon. I'll start. That's from Antoine and I will continue from there. And at some point in the future, I will, I'll share my results for a few of those as well. Um, but that's, that's that for, so, for, for what we've gone through so far. So I did want to take this opportunity since I've got your attention, at least for now, I did want to take this opportunity to share some thoughts about this idea of personal language. It's, it's probably one you haven't heard of before. I have, like I said, I haven't really heard this talked about in other places. Um, I did recently get interviewed on another podcast uh, at the time of this recording, and I, I shared a little bit about it in the context of um, how it affects things in, in the professional world in terms of training and onboarding. Uh, but I did want to, I want to jump into more detail and uh, kind of share the, the extent to which I think this really impacts people, the way that we learn, the way that we interact. And I think it's a really important topic that hasn't been well addressed anywhere that I'm aware of. Uh, if you have heard about this before, please let me know. I'd love to hear, you know, I'd, I'd love to get involved in more conversations about this because I think it's, I think it's really important. Uh, so uh, what is personal language? What is this all about? So the idea of personal language, I kind of, this concept kind of came to me a few years back and it made a lot of sense and helped me to understand better why, uh, at least at the time, this was back when I was really struggling in college. And it helped me to to think through why am I struggling and what are some of the, the ways that um, I can overcome these struggles and, and what are the reasons for them in the first place and how could they be impacting other people. And as I thought about this more, this idea of personal language, I realized really extends so much farther beyond the classroom. It, it's really a factor in every relationship that we have. And if not well understood, and um, if we don't understand the full implications of this idea, it, it can be really destructive and cause a lot of misunderstandings that could be avoided. So I think a good illustration for personal language, a good way to understand this idea and start to see how it impacts us is if you imagine that you were you're in, in an auditorium, a packed auditorium with a thousand people and the speaker on stage says something like, I'm going to say a word and I want everyone in the audience, I want all of you listening to just let it evoke what it will evoke in you. What thoughts does it bring to mind? What feelings, um, memories, experiences? I just want you to be aware of those, be conscious of them, uh, and just let them sit for a second. So everyone's ready, they're anticipating, and the speaker simply says the word dog. Now it seems kind of silly because, of course, you know, hopefully everyone in the audience would have a pretty good idea of what a dog is. Everyone has the same understanding generally speaking uh, of what a dog is they could all identify one when they saw one for the most part and yet 
every single person in the audience would have a completely unique set of experiences, a completely unique set of memories, completely unique set of images that would come to mind. So despite the fact that dog is, you know, often one of the first words that a child says when they learn to speak, it's, it's this very familiar concept, not complicated. Everyone in that a thousand person audience, and in fact, everybody in the world would have a completely different, unique understanding of what that really means. So you might think of your your dog growing up as a child. You might think of the joy of bringing one home. You might think of the annoying dogs that your neighbors had that kept you up at night with their barking. You might think of um, a dog that bit you when you were younger and left a scar. You might have all sorts of different emotions. You might think of the feeling of loss of a, a loyal companion. I mean, there's this infinite vast array of emotions and thoughts and images and experiences that could be associated with that word and when you say it it evokes those experiences it evokes those memories and thoughts in each individual in a, in a different way and that's what personal language is because that's true for every single word in your vocabulary it means something different to you than it means to everyone else and while we do have this in many cases, a shared general understanding of the definitions and meanings of words and how they can be used. They evoke different thoughts, they evoke different feelings, and they mean something different to each of us. And so you really do, though you might speak English, <laughs> you speak a different English than everyone else or anyone else. You have your own personal version in your head, and, and each word has its own meanings to you that it, they don't have for anyone else. And it's totally unique. And so, practically speaking, why does that matter? What, what's the application? It seems relatively obvious that that's the case. But does it really hinder conversation? Does it really hinder our understanding? And I, I think in a lot of ways it does, and it can cause a lot of issues because... Your personal language, the, the more shared experiences you have with someone else, the more similar that your personal languages are going to be, the more similar your memories are going to be surrounding certain words, the more similar the, the emotions and the images that a word will evoke. And consequently, the less shared experience you have with somebody the more differentiated your backgrounds, the less in common your personal languages will have, the less you will share in terms of your understanding of words and their meaning. And that's just single words. And then we get to combining them into sentences and seeing how they play off each other and how these ideas and these feelings can combine together. And it just continues to diverge. You go from a word as simple as dog to a word as complicated and deep and meaning-laden as love. <laughs> I mean, if we don't have the same understanding of something as simple as dog, 
these more complex, more saturated and deep and complex ideas become even more divergent. And so when you're faced with a sentence as simple as, I love my dog, the facets and the complications and the differences associated with how people can understand that sentence and what it means to them are extreme. The concept of self, I, what does that mean to you? Concept of love, which perhaps the most complicated idea and concept in human experience and my, this idea of possession, this relationship and dog, well, we've already been over that. <laughs> A sentence as simple as that can mean something so, so different to different people. And so practically speaking, it seems almost darkly comical that we would expect to be able to speak to each other without misunderstandings. They're guaranteed to happen. They can't be avoided. There are going to be misunderstandings because words simply don't mean the same thing to different people. And that's just words, and that's just sentences. That says nothing to how things are written, how things are said verbally, the intonation, because body language and intonation carry so much extra meaning. And uh, I don't remember the exact percentages, but it was essentially discovered at some point that when you're speaking to somebody, um, that body language and intonation and, and tone end up carrying far more meaning to people than the actual content, the words that are said. And so that complexity just compounds. And I think this is really important to consider, and I, I think that it's not just a thought experiment. There's a lot more to it than that. There's actually practical applications to this and understanding this because I know for me, when I was studying engineering and I was really struggling, I started to think about this idea and I realized the less shared experience I have with my professor, the more difficult it is for me to understand the language that they use to explain these complex topics. And I started to realize this is happening in every classroom across the world. Some students have a personal language that is more similar to that of the professor. And so things are going to make a little bit more sense. And perhaps they have more shared experiences with some of their classmates than others. And so in communicating with them, things are going to make a little more sense. And this is just true between any two people or any group of people. So practically speaking, what we can do in being aware that we all have these personal languages and that they're different from each other, if we want to learn effectively, if we want to communicate effectively, it's important that we acknowledge this. I know that right now, if I were a professor or I were leading a classroom, I, I do coach and I do teach, but uh, especially it's important the more people that are involved, the more personal languages that are involved in the situation, the more this becomes important and critical. I know that if I were in that position, knowing this and thinking about this, one of the things that I would 
I would do, and if you are in a teaching position, I'd, I'd recommend doing this for the sake of your students to learn. It's really important to have people communicate back to you the ideas that you're trying to teach in their own words. So if you're a teacher, a way that you, you could apply this and, and use this understanding of what the fact that personal languages exist and that they're very different is whenever you introduce a new concept, make sure that you have the students explain it back to you in their own words, but also, and I think this is even more important, have them teach each other. And this, if you've heard of the Feynman technique, this is kind of taking in elements of that. That, that technique is essentially writing a topic, a subject, a concept, something that you want to learn, writing what you know about that and trying to teach it to somebody else who has no prior knowledge of that concept. And if there's something that they don't understand in your teaching and you can't simplify it to the level that they can understand it, that means that there's a flaw in your understanding. And that's a way for you to identify weaknesses and go back and, and relearn and learn the spots that are weak until, the, until you can explain them to someone who has no prior knowledge of that concept or that idea. And so if you're teaching students and you want them to be able to overcome any, any sort of differences in their personal languages that are causing them to misunderstand you or misunderstand the ideas, if you can have your students communicate to each other, first of all, it's going to offer them different perspectives. They might be able to hear it in a way that makes more sense to them from the voice of someone else up here. It'll also force them to put things in their own words. It'll force them to to rephrase the ideas in their personal language in a way that makes more sense. There's also the importance of the use of metaphors and analogies. Now, those aren't always super effective because, again, they're coming from your personal point of view. I know for me, um, I'm not much of an athlete. Uh, it's sports. I'm not, I'm not much of a sports guy. It's never been my thing too much, but uh, people very frequently, I remember in my courses growing up that people would frequently use sports analogies and I understood them, uh, but they just, they're not the analogies I would use. So there, there are drawbacks to using analogies and, and metaphors from time to time. But the good thing about analogies and metaphors and stories is that they force you to abstract the foundational meaning of things in order to apply them in a different situation or explain them in a different way. And by generalizing out, we can, um, we can reduce the specifics and the nuances that we might associate with words and go on a more general level that anyone can, can apply. It's impossible to get completely universal, but uh, metaphors and analogies do tend to help with that. So if you are a teacher or you're in a position where you need to communicate a lot, you need to speak to people who may not share your experiences at all. Metaphors, analogies, getting people to explain things in their own words and getting people to explain things to each other and teach each other is a really powerful way to overcome a lot of the difficulties associated with personal language and actually use it as an advantage rather than a disadvantage. The same applies in business. So if you are, um, if you're a professional listening to this, especially if you're a business owner or someone who leads a team, if you give somebody instructions on something or you have a project that you're trying to explain, having people repeat back to you in their own words, the instructions that you gave them or the criteria of a project 
can be really valuable to identify and rectify misunderstandings before they cause any issues. This is a really common piece of advice that you're going to hear if you ever hire an assistant, especially at the beginning, if you're, you know, having multiple people, um, auditioning for a role or anything like that, uh, or trying out, have them do some simple tasks, give them simple instructions and then have them repeat them back to you. And if you're worried about the sounding condescending, cause it certainly can be if you're like, okay, now tell me, tell me what you heard when, when I gave these instructions can certainly sound condescending. Uh, a simple way that you can get around that is, is by saying, you know, I want to make sure that, uh, you know, I, I have weaknesses in my communication and I fully acknowledge that. And I want to make sure that this made sense to you. I didn't, didn't confuse you. Can you just share like in your own words, how these instructions came off to you? Uh, just make sure that if there was anything I didn't communicate well, it didn't cause any confusion. So really putting the onus on yourself to be the communicator and, and putting the weaknesses on yourself <laughs> in your ability to communicate, not expressing doubt that they can understand something simple. Uh, but this is really critical. If you are if you are in a position where you are teaching or you're training, make sure that you have whoever you are teaching or training put things into their own words, use personal language, also have them teach to others. It will also, it's, it's a mindset shift similar to what I was talking about with my experience with these challenges. If you can get people to start thinking in terms of how they would communicate something to somebody else, how they would put things in their own words, how they would teach that kind of mindset is extremely empowering and it's so, so powerful for learning. If you as a student or as someone being trained can get in the mindset every time you hear something, you're immediately thinking about how you would turn around and teach somebody else, teach someone who's new, onboard somebody new, teach your child, teach another student. You're always going to be converting things into your personal language and then also thinking in terms of metaphors, thinking in terms of more universal phrases and ideas, things that are easier to understand, simplifying, breaking things down you will learn far more effectively and you will teach far more effectively as well. So if you have had trouble with communication, if you've had trouble with miscommunication, if you feel like that is an issue that's caused tension in your relationships or you've struggled to train people effectively or you've struggled to learn effectively, consider the differences in your personal language and somebody else's who, who you're teaching or who's teaching you or who you're training or your child, or your spouse, and try to bring those into the open air. Encourage people to express things in their own words so you can see the differences in your understanding before they cause problems. Rather than waiting for that miscommunication to fester and for confu confusion to spread, this is a way that you can address those things early, get people to speak in their personal language, express the same ideas in their own way. And it'll prevent a lot of that to begin with. So it's just an idea that I've been wanting to share more about and, and get people's feedback and get people talking about it because I think it's, it's a really valuable concept to understand and take seriously. Uh, and if we don't, I think there, there's a lot of danger in that as well. So 
Um, and I know, uh, just speaking frankly and personally, this is something that I have not always done well with and it's something that I am trying to incorporate uh, in my work as I am responsible for communicating and teaching more and in my personal life. So we're always learning together and I'd love to hear from you as always. So anyway, I just wanted to share about that. I think it's a great topic. I, I would love to hear your thoughts about it. So please uh, don't be shy. And uh, thank you for listening to this episode. Thank you for tuning in. I know it was a little bit different. We will be getting back to our usual interview format shortly, but I hope this was insightful or interesting, uh, worth a listen. And I look forward to continuing to learn with you. And I will see you at episode eight. Thank you.